Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hey there, it's a new year. I know we lost a lot of celebrities in 2016, but you and I, we made it, right? So welcome to a new year, and welcome to the Extra Mile edition of the Run Run Live podcast. That's right, I grabbed our friend, Kevin Gwynn, away from his Beatle albums and Galloway chatter to talk to me about communities of runners and how the world has changed since we started doing all this a decade ago. So how was your 2016? Glass half full or tank half empty? I'm going to quote my favorite A race goal, which is, I didn't die. (laughs) So the rest is gravy, I guess. Let's see what I can remember here going through what I did in 2016. I believe we started the year running the Hangover Classic 10K on January 1st and jumping in the ocean, as we do most every year. Then in January, we trundled off the wife to Phoenix for a quick vacation that included the Rock and Roll Marathon and a bunch of cool sightseeing, if I remember correctly. And did I not run a bunch of the local races leading up to Boston, like Derry and Stews in Eastern States? Did I not have a great training cycle? The best in five years, right? Then... We ran Boston and learned that lesson about going out too fast that somehow never gets learned. (laughs) But we checked off our 18th Boston Marathon. Didn't die. Raised some coin for the Hoyts. Do I seem to remember capping off 10 years of race directorship for the Groton Road Race? The race in the club managed to survive my term, and I handed it off to someone even more capable. And there might have been a couple of weeks in May that uh, were all that caught up with me and I slowed down a bit with a small case of pneumonia, but you can't get all rainbows and unicorns without the rain, right? And then I jumped out of that rough patch by running the Grand Canyon with my newly graduated daughter. How cool is that for a bucket list checkoff? The summer was a bit doldrum-filled. But I capped it off with another nice vacation to Chicago, and yes, I did see a Cubs game in Wrigley Field. So apparently my good karma rubbed off on those fellows later in the year. And I shook off the heat and placed in that trail marathon in Indy. 
and I returned to my old friend the Wapak Trail for a long outing on the rocks on Labor Day. And then I turned around and spanked that Spartan beast a couple weeks later, making a fair amount of young people cry. Somewhere in there, I lost 15 pounds and showed up for the Portland Marathon lean and light. And I got lucky with the weather, and I requalified. And I joined my club for the Air 5K tradition on Thanksgiving and our end-of-season shindig at the Mill Cities Relay. And then this past Saturday, I ran the fourth edition of my very own made-up marathon. And I'll tell you about that a little bit later in the show. So Goodreads tells me that I read 27 books. I know I wrote at least 52 articles. And I pushed out at least 26 podcasts. And I trained almost every day. That's a pretty good year, right? Was it perfect? Was it filled with challenges and accidents and side turns? Of course it was. If everything is smooth sailing and your life isn't filled with challenges, you're not living. You're waiting to die. So I don't know if any of that stuff would be considered worthy or good or bad. I don't know. I try very hard not to waste time keeping score. It's simpler. (laughs) Get up and do stuff. Do what you can do. I have a sign by my desk that reminds me that consistency and practice are a reasonable substitute for genius. It says, work the process. Anyway, today we talk with Kevin, and in section one, we'll talk a little bit about breathing. I was thinking about this topic this week and wanted to poke at it a bit. In section two, I'll probably pull some more nuggets out of the Drucker book I've just finished. That would count as number one of 2017 if I was keeping score. Before I let you go, I'll remind you that the Run Run Live podcast is ad-free and listener-supported. We have a membership option where you can become a member, and as a special thank you, you will get access to my members-only audio. I'll also remind you that I have started raising money for Team Hoyt for my 2017 Boston Marathon. I would appreciate any help you can give. The fundraiser is on CrowdRise, so I don't have to touch any of the money. It goes straight to the Hoyts and supports things like acquiring equipment and supporting others who want to participate like the Hoyts do. And that's going to be CrowdRise.com forward slash Team Hoyt Boston 2017 forward slash fundraiser forward slash Christopher Russell. No hyphens or anything in there. So do that when you get back from your run. My family and I go over to my mom's on Christmas Eve, and I was driving around in the truck with Buddy doing errands on Saturday before Christmas, and she called me to see what time I was planning to come. And I asked her who else was coming because I had some nieces and nephews I was trying to get presents to. And she must have thought I was qualifying the gathering because she said, it's not the number of people who show up, Chris. It's the quality of the people who show up. So there you go. Some mom wisdom for you. Happy New Year. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Breathing for endurance. Breathing. It's a simple thing. You don't think about it much, do you? Yet, if you don't breathe... I think you'll be in trouble. When you work out, you breathe harder. How important is breathing to your endurance sports? Is there anything you can do to make breathing more effective? 
I mean, why are we breathing in the first place? Because we need to bring oxygen into our bodies. Our cells need oxygen to burn fuel and create energy. The lungs are the organ in your chest cavity that bring in the fresh air and oxygen. The lungs are the major respiratory organ in humans. They transfer oxygen from the environment into the bloodstream and expire carbon dioxide from the bloodstream back into the environment. You have two lungs, a left and a right. In most people, the right is bigger than the left because the heart nestles into a little cavity in the left lung. Yeah. And the structure starts with that flexible tube that comes down from your mouth, the trachea. Then a series of increasingly smaller bronchial pathways ending in little sacs called alveoli where the respiration happens. And if you think about it logically, it makes sense that smokers get out of breath because they've gummed up the works inside their lungs. The tissue doesn't work as well because it's clogged and hardened. You know, smoking to get nicotine or any other drug works because it uses that same respiratory function to get the vaporized drugs into the bloodstream. So the physical action of breathing is enabled by a muscle called the diaphragm. You've probably heard people encouraging breathing from the diaphragm. What is it? Where is it? It's a skeletal muscle that runs across the bottom of the thoracic cavity. When people talk about diaphragmatic or belly breathing, they mean using this muscle instead of the muscles in your chest. Great. So now that the fifth grade science lesson is over, <laughs> what does this have to do with running and endurance sports? Well, it depends on who you talk to or listen to, actually. I'll start off with a disclaimer that I have never worked with or worried about breathing cadences. I do use my breathing as an indicator of effort level and as a tool to reset my effort, and we'll talk about that later. But first, let's review those coaches who do present systematic training methods based on breathing techniques. And there are coaches who put a lot of emphasis on breathing. Most notably, breathing is the core of Bud Coates' training program. He's a runner's world guy. Coates has written a lot about timing your inhales and exhales. The theory is that if you always breathe on the same foot strike, it's a form of overuse and can lead to injury. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of enthusiasm scientifically for this theory, but Bud uses breathing cadence as one of the core elements of his training methodology. And he argues that the when you exhale, your diaphragm is relaxed and therefore provides less support to the core. And if you have it relaxed on the same side every time, you'll get injuries on that side. And if any of this seems like something you'd like to dive deeper into, you can get his book about it called Running on Air. I'm probably not doing his thought process justice. Uh, I should probably get him on for an interview to defend himself. What is a breathing cadence? Well, this simply means how many foot strikes you have when you're running during each inhale and exhale. So a 2-2 breathing cadence would mean two foot strikes for the inhale, two foot strikes for the exhale. And this is the cadence that... Jack Daniels recommends in his training, and Coates has his runners do an, uh, an offset, a 3-2 cadence, so that it alternates the feet, alternates the sides. So there's also coaches who argue whether it's best to breathe through the nose or the mouth or a little bit of both. My caution here, looking at it from the outside, is that it looks like we're doing the same thing with breathing that we do with everything. 
We're separating out one specific element of a system and trying to optimize it with methodologies. And my view has always been more holistic. I think we need to understand all the pieces, but work on the whole system. One might say systematically. So what can you as an average runner or athlete do to work on your breathing? Well, I think the first thing you can do is notice it. Next time you're out running, just notice your breathing. Notice how it changes over the course of the run as you warm up. Notice how it changes as you change your effort level. Count the cadences and see what your rhythm is. Just take mental notes. Play around with it. Notice how you breathe physically. Do you breathe through the mouth or through the nose or through both? Does it change depending on the effort? Do you breathe with your chest or with your belly? Does that change depending on where you are? in the run, in your effort level. So take your mental notebook with you and pay attention to your breathing for a couple of runs and see what you learn about yourself and your system. Maybe there is something you need to work on with your breathing or some opportunity to improve. We're all a work in process. Have you ever finished a hard track repeat or a hill sprint or sprinted at the end of a race and you find yourself bent over hands on thighs, gasping for air. So what happened? So you pushed your muscles well beyond the available oxygen supply, and you essentially ran yourself out of breath. Now you're gasping for air to get oxygen into those screaming muscles. That's why sprinting is called anaerobic training. An is, means without, and aerobic is oxygen. Is there a way to increase your lung capacity to make these processes more efficient, the lungs more efficient? And of course there is. There's really three things you can do. First, you can absolutely practice strengthening your breathing mechanisms. Second, you can use your form to breathe more efficiently. And finally, third, you can integrate breathing as a tool in your training and racing. So let's look at those things. First, any consistent exercise will strengthen and increase the capacity of your lungs. You can do specific lung exercises. These typically involve inhaling very deeply, holding your breath for a four to five count, and then blowing it out. You can do resistance training by wearing a mask or simply breathing through your nose. You can move to altitude. You can take up playing the tuba. Any consistent exercises that forces you to work your breath will increase your lung capacity and the strength of that system. I have found that swimming is a great way to exercise your breathing control and breathing cadence. So over the years, I have settled into a swim cadence, which is a three-stroke cadence, which forces me to breathe on opposite sides. So stroke, 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 breathe, stroke, 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 breathe. And this forces me to slow down my stroke and match my exertion to the available breath. And it also helps me swim straighter and get sighting on both sides because I'm alternating. So another thing to remember is that that diaphragm is a muscle, and it can be strengthened and stretched like any other muscle. And there are specific yoga and Pilates exercises that focus specifically on strengthening the diaphragm during breathing. And you might find it useful to walk through some of these simply to assess how well you're using your diaphragm and maybe add some practices to improve that. So what about form? How does form influence breathing? Well, good form allows for deep diaphragmatic breathing. If you're hunched over, you're compressing that breathing area in your body. So running tall 
upright, loose arm swing, shoulders open, chin up, breathe deeply into that good open form, and you'll have plenty of room to get your lungs expanded. And finally, I think the most important exercise you can do with your breathing is to integrate it into your running, into the total system. Breathing is part of a system. It can be both an input and a result. You can use your breathing to control your effort level and to correct your state. So here's an example. So here's an example. When, you, when you're out in a race or a harder workout and you notice your form is starting to degrade, the effort level feels hard. You're teetering on the edge of a systems failure that will cause you to slow down or walk. What do you do? You need to figure out how to reset your form and effort level, right? And typically, I would tell you to do a systems checklist and clean up your form. Part of that systems checklist is your breathing. In most of these situations, you'll find that your breathing has become shallow and gasping. And as part of the form reset, the first thing I do is take a big, big diaphragmatic breath and blow it out. I'll typically do it in through the nose, out, blow it out hard through the mouth. Do this two or three times. And this physically and mentally relaxes you. You bring it in and then you relax on the exhale. And this is during the workout. So, and this resets my effort level and resyncs my breath with my form. And this is what I mean when I say relax into the effort. You force your breathing to be deep and easy and relax your form. You stop fighting it and relax into it. As your form, cadence, and breathing sink, the effort becomes sustainable again. So try that during your next hard workout. Practice it during your training. It's a very useful racing skill. And this takes us to our final thought. Breathing is a holistic part of your overall endurance capability. The ability to integrate your breathing with your form and your effort is a big benefit in training and racing. Scott Jurek, for example, talks about using his breathing as meditation during his ultra-distance runs. And that ability to integrate your breathing starts with noticing it. And one great way to get good at noticing your breathing is breathing meditation. You can find hundreds of breathing meditation guides and videos on YouTube. It's basically just sitting quietly and focusing on your breath for a few minutes. It's great practice for calming your mind, but also a practice for integrating your breathing. For now, don't get too wrapped up in it. All you have to do is notice your breath on a few of your next runs. Make, sh- make them breathing runs. Leave your music and podcasts at home and just listen to your breath. See how you breathe. See how your breath plays with your mind-body interaction. And now for today's featured interview. Kevin Gwynn. Chris Russell. So anyhow, Kevin, who are you? What do you do? Give us the 200 words or less on the extra mile because uh, I can't believe we've never talked. Yeah, you and I have been doing this for almost the exact same number of years and months, I think, 10 years or so coming up on. And you and I, although we have uh, broken bread together in person and chatted on um, social stuff, I don't think we've ever done this before. Cool. Kevin Gwynn, I put together the Extra Mile podcast and also the Extra Mile podcast, Jeff Galloway edition. I've been doing that for, um, well, the Extra Mile for 10 years now and the other Galloway deal for about six and a half. I've been running for 33 years, living just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, just loving life, man. Yeah, it's fascinating. If we look back, when you started the Extra Mile podcast, how much 
that took off. Why do you think that resonated with people? I can only answer it from a selfish perspective. The reason why I listen to podcasts, and it's because of the whole community thing. And that's how I first started. I started listening to uh, Fidipidations years ago, and then Nigel's Running from the Reaper. And then I started listening to Run, Run, Live early on. And it was just a way for me to take friends with me on a run. Because although sometimes I like to go out and I'll shut my iPod or just won't take it with me and run and be really introspective. But for the most of the time, I like to run with friends. And I just didn't have any friends that were willing to go out at five o'clock in the morning with me. So I got into podcasts and, and not just running podcasts, but if you have any sort of, a, of an interest in any topic, there's a podcast out there for it. So oh, I yeah, got into yeah. that early on. And so I think that's kind of what the extra mile is. The more you listen, it's almost like watching a new show on TV. People will say, you got to listen or you got to watch this show for a few weeks, but then you'll know the characters. Same thing with the extra mile that we have several people that tend to stick around and submit, and you get to know these folks, and then I reach out and bug people to, to submit because we want to hear from them as well. So I think at the core, it's the whole building a community thing, and that's probably what I'm most proud of for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I guess if I think about it, it's a fascinating dynamic in that probably of the thousands of people who listen or download your podcast, you probably get 30 who submit over the course yep. of a year, right? Yep. So yep. that means yep. there's... The other people want to be involved, but they're afraid to send anything. So it's listeners exactly. submitted like race reports and training updates and whatever, right? And and some of the audio is horrible, and, and it's <laughs> but it's interesting, right? Because it's it's very authentic. I guess that's what I would say. It's very authentic. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny to say that because I, I can't tell how many times I run into people either on email or in person, like at the at the Jeff Galloway's half marathon that I just attended that will come up to me and say, I've been listening for years, but I just haven't had the guts to submit. And once I get a hold of those folks, those are the ones that I'm like a pit bull with. I'll, I'll email them and say, come on, I want to hear from you. I want to, and it's kind of funny, it becomes a game, but there are a lot more, obviously a lot more listeners than there are people who submit. I think a lot of people will tell me, well, I just don't have anything to say, which I usually say baloney back to, because everybody has a story of how you got started running or what kind of training you're doing, or even if you're not training for a, a race, just why the heck do you run? Because all of us have something in common with this deal. And you're right, there's probably 30, 40 people that submit during the year, but the funny thing is that they kind of rotate as well. So somebody will submit for six months or whatever, and they'll kind of disappear. And I'll hear from them in email, but they don't come back. But I've only got one listener that I can think of off the top of my head that actually was on episode number one, and he's still admits it's, it's kind of cool yeah so it's interesting people phase in and phase out and, right. and the the nature of the community because i think people hear that and they go oh great here's people just like me right whereas before they were kind of all alone they're like i suck at running why am i doing this to myself and then they find this community and it's like a revelation for them right absolutely because then they find out there's other people that suck just like them and we're proud yeah of yeah that's interesting because i mean how would you describe if you had to pinpoint that demographic what's that demographic for your community? Age-wise, I'd say they're 40 years and plus. They are middle to back of the pack runners. You, by the way, are an anomaly when it comes to <laughs> our listeners because you do not. I would also say most, many of them, if not most, do the run-walk thing with Galloway just because of Jeff and the relationship I've got going with him now. But you obviously don't do the run-walk, run-repeat about that all the time, back and forth, and you're certainly not a back of the packer. But most of the people are back of the pack could care less about finishing times or PRs and yeah, 40 plus probably pretty evenly distributed. 
I will say on the extra mile side, pretty evenly distributed between male and female. On the Galloway side, it's, it's interesting, more than half, maybe 70% are female. I'm not sure why that is. I've teed that up on the podcast, and I, and I don't know. That's an interesting dynamic for me that uh, there's so many females that use the run-walk-run. Yeah, that is interesting. I bet you've got enough data now. If you went back, you could find some interesting, I don't know, analytics or whatever. I don't know what the conclusions would be, but I like the Galloway stuff. People, like you said, I'm an outlier for your community, but I like playing with Mm -hmm. them. (laughs) I like messing with them. So, um, yeah, I make people angry. Well, you just have to be careful because people don't have a sense of humor when it comes to that sometimes. Yeah. And (laughs) some of the Galloway folks are just, it's like a religion for them, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And they get very angry if you uh, if you start talking bad about that because they think they've well, found I the remember, true way. Absolutely. But I remember having a conversation with Steve Runner, a mutual friend of ours, years ago, probably early on in my Galloway stuff, so probably six, seven years ago. And I, I asked him about it, and he said, although at the time he didn't do it, I think he kind of does it today, but I'm not certain. But And he made the comment to me, I think that those two kinds of people, those people that are doing run, walk, run today – or those people who will, if they want to continue running into old age, will move to run, walk, run as they get older. So I'm hoping he's right, and someday you'll come groveling back to me and ask to join the run, walk, run club. Yeah, the only thing I would add to these folks is to not put fences around their ability, right? They make these assumptions that they can't do stuff, and I think that's mm-hmm. just because they haven't figured out how to do it yet. Yeah. But I do definitely like the Galloway community, the community itself, and the methodology in the fact that it lowers the barrier to entry to a healthier lifestyle. Exactly. I totally agree. And it allows, these are folks who, if they just went out and tried to run five miles, would be miserable, just miserable. And they can't keep that up, right? It's just not something they're going to keep up. But with Galloway, they can go out and run five miles and enjoy it. Great. Absolutely. And they're not going to win any races, so why not? Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's that that big community that you're talking about, and it's heavily weighted, no pun intended, towards the the female side as well. Yes. That's super interesting. So what have you seen over the years as trends with uh, the extra mile? I would say it's it's just the opposite. I think our listeners that we've had over the years have been very, very consistent. The only trend I would say is that it's always been, from day one, those folks who didn't really care about winning race, that, that were always mid to back of the Packers in that same age group, but... I have found over the years that the whole community thing is more important to people. Here's my theory on that. Here's an example. I was telling some people in Atlanta a few weeks ago about this. My wife does not listen to the podcast, and she thinks that it's still a little weird when I say to her, yeah, I spoke with Joe from the podcast today, and he's a good friend of mine. She goes, well, have you met Joe? And I'm like, no, Joe and I have not met. But So she's still in that thing. How can you have a friend you met on the Internet? It used to mean a little bit different years ago when you met somebody on the Internet. I think the whole Internet thing has evolved in a good way from a community standpoint. So I think it actually fills a void that was left in the 70s and 80s as with globalization and sort of blowing up the local businesses. And people just don't have a lot of that community presence locally like our parents and grandparents did, and this is filling that void. Yeah, you're right. People don't head out the back door and just play in the park all day long. Now they sit around in the house and do God knows what. Right, so yeah, they're not going to be right. in the bowling league on Thursday night, but they may yeah. be in a bowling website. But 
So Absolutely, changes. yeah. I, I totally agree. And to me, it's, it's not just a local community thing. It still boggles my mind that I can be friends with Krister, who is in Sweden, for crying out loud, or from Japan. Or Many of my listeners don't just listen in the background. I get emails from people all over, and that's my favorite part of it, where I can engage two-way conversation with folks. And I beg them on the, on the, inter- or on the podcast all the time. If you hear something from somebody, reach out to these folks. The other pod- you know, not just me, other podcasters, reach out to them. And, and those folks that are doing running podcasts will love nothing more than to have a one-on-one conversation with you over email or Twitter or whatever you want to use. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. And I have never found anybody really who I wanted to talk to in the running community, even professional running community, who wouldn't spend some time with you. And that's what I like about the sport is that people are very approachable. Oh, and no matter who you speak to, I mean, they could be the number one folks in our sport and they'll sit down and give you and talk to you about this sport until your ears fall off. Yeah, so here we are. It's December 29th. So I had this brain bug this morning to think about New Year's goals, right? Because every so the commercials have started on TV, right? Lose, mm-hmm. lose 20 pounds in 20 days. Every internet <laughs> ad is banging on you. And uh, so you got any bright ideas? First of all, do you have any goals for 2017? Any big goals? Um, No. I really, well, I have one goal that I set, I set every year, and I know, I know it's silly. I agree that the whole first of the year, let's wait till the first of the year and there's a resolution. Why in God's name would you have to do that? But I always do it, and 99% of the time I break them myself. But from my health perspective, I know that all the cardio I do is good, but it's not what, it's maybe not even the most important thing that I need as I approach, oh my God, I'm going to be 60 next year. That number sounds so big to me that I don't even want to listen to it or say it anymore. But I don't do any sort of weightlifting at all. And I know that's terrible for me, especially the older I get. Have you ever read the book Younger Next Year? Sure. Yeah, I interviewed um, that guy. Yes, I did too one time. Love the book. Absolutely love the book. And I think it's spot on. So anybody who is getting up there in years might want to go out and get that book. It's an easy read. But it talks a lot about the importance of weight bearing exercises. So this time of year, I always sit down as I'm running and I'm thinking about what I'm going to do next year. I always go through my head, well, I'm going to cut back on my running. Six days a week is not optimal at my age. Four days a week is good. is a good number. I could live three, even the four days a week and then throw in maybe just two days of of weightlifting. But the problem I have, Chris, I don't know if you do a lot of weightlifting. I know you're into yoga and stuff like that, but I just don't enjoy it like I do running. So it's tougher for me to do, but that's kind of where I'm looking at, the, at this year again. It's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, I had some real success this um, over the summer into the fall. Um, I lost, you know, 15, 20 pounds or something. Yeah. And I yeah. was just blown away by the difference it made in my training and my racing, but also in my general health. It affected my heart rate. It affected how long it takes me to recover, just not having that extra. And it was because I went into it not to lose weight, but to get healthy. So I didn't really worry about weight loss. That just happened. It was cutting out a lot of the carbs and the fats and the alcohol and all that stuff, right? And just doing that, I was just amazed at the magnitude. Because, you know, our whole lives, part of the thing about being a runner was you could eat or drink whatever you wanted and still keep the weight off, right? And uh, I was blown away by that. So I'll come back to your weight lifting question. If people are setting health goals for the year, I would say don't have weight loss as a goal. Make healthy eating a goal. And then do the research to figure out what healthy eating is, right? And if it's any diet that has an actual name, like XYZ diet, that's probably not a good one. 
know what I mean? Yeah, it's going to yeah. be a little bit more holistic than that. Maybe get a coach. There's great nutrition coaches out there. It won't cost you more than fifty, hundred bucks a month. You can get a nutrition coach for three months. It's a great investment. It's less than a big screen TV, less than a pair of running did, shoes. Did you count calories when you were doing that? Okay, yeah. Yes, but not so much to count the calories, but to track the food. And if you have a coach and they're watching over your shoulder and you have to enter everything you eat, it makes you make better decisions, both calorie-wise and healthy food-wise, right? Gotcha, yeah. So it's just sort of that peer pressure thing, just enough. Because you know what to do, but unless somebody's watching you, it's a lot easier to make a bad decision. But coming back to your weightlifting, the reason I say yeah. that is I, I look at a picture of me running my PR at Boston in 1998, and I know at the time I'm sitting at about 185, 186 pounds, right? Okay. And I am not skinny. I'm a, a strong guy. I'm not fat, but I'm a strong guy in 1998 running that 306 marathon. And then I look at today to be in that same sort of shape. I'm looking at 175, under 175 pounds to have that same fitness. So my point is when you get older, it's not just fat. You're losing body mass. And I don't think there's anything you can do about that. You can slow it down <laughs> and you can, um, you can help injury. And if I look at the pictures where I've lost the meat is like in the cracks. You're much more angular as you get older, right? There's sure. not as much yeah. meat in the cracks, if that makes any sense. <laughs> It's muscle mass, it's body mass, you just don't have it anymore. And so to answer your question, yes, I run four, maybe five if I'm in a tough week, days a week, and the way I make up for the volume is to run longer. So I'm typically still doing 30 plus mile weeks, but only on a three or four day schedule, which if you do the math right. is, means a lot of long runs. I do heart rate training now instead of speed and strength training for the most part. But when I, of course, when I'm going into a race, I'm going to do race specific speed and strength training. But I also do, right. I rotate through yoga, which is for flexibility, balance and strength and weightlifting, right? But for the weightlifting, you're typically not for an endurance athlete, you're not doing a lot of strength stuff, like with big dumbbells and barbells and bench presses. You're doing a lot of body weight stuff. So lunges, push-ups, that kind of stuff. Right. And especially core work. Like I'm going to do a core routine today, which is probably um, 15, 20 exercises that I bang out 30 seconds apiece over 10 minutes. And that's enough, right? That's enough for my core. But if you don't do that stuff, you get injured and you get unbalanced when you get older, Right. Yeah, and, and as you get older, see, I'm acting like I'm an expert because I know what I need to do. I just don't do it. I, as you get older, the exercises you really need, you're right. We're not, I'm not doing it bulk up and become the, the Incredible Hulk, but you could, I, mean, I just don't say almost, you could do every exercise you need just with weight-bearing, body weight-bearing exercises. You don't even necessarily need a gym. Crunches, push-ups, sit-ups, all that stuff. You could do it without spending a ton of money to go to the gym. The only issue you have is unless you're doing two a day, which I don't know about you, but that takes too much time for me, right? I got an hour or two a day to work out. So you really got to pick your battles. You can't do everything. You want to do everything, but you can't do everything. So when I'm right. working out with these bodyweight exercises, or I'll do a light dumbbell, so like a 15-pound dumbbell for me, I could lift a 30-pound dumbbell, but I'll do more reps and more sets with a lighter dumbbell or a lighter barbell just to get that lean muscle versus the bulk muscle. Yeah. Um, but So you got to rotate through it is what I'm saying. So you're not going to have time to do the same workout three days a week. You're going to have to do three different workouts that hit three different muscle sets. And that really stinks because you never get used to anything. And you're always sore the next day. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But the hurdle i got to get over 
Chris, and if you figure this out and write a book, I'll buy it, is not the hurdle of whether I think I need it or convince myself that I need it and I should do it, but the hurdle of actually doing it and enjoying it. Running, I love to run, and I don't need any encouragement to go out and run unless it's 20 below. The, the weightlifting thing, I do need. And I, I have friends who are just the opposite. I couldn't pay them to go for a run, with but they're in the right. gym every day lifting. I don't think there's any difference in approach with any of these things, right? At first, you got to force yourself, and then you just get into the habit. you got to have a space. you got to have a time. you got to make it a priority. And then you like listening to podcasts or music, you know? Have your Amazon Echo help you out? Yeah. And so anyway, that's find a routine that works. Again, it's better to do something than to do nothing, right? Yes, absolutely. You've got to keep it interesting. So back to our, our big goals. Your big goal is to try to lift weights more. I'll send you some yes. uh, body weight exercises you can do. Um, oh, that's short. Perfect. I'd love it. Simple ones, total body stuff. Like I said, I can do most of mine with no weights or just one set of 15-pound dumbbells. That and a, does. And a Swedish ball. So that means I can do them in my house, right? I don't have to go to the gym. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I'm into that. Thank you. Appreciate it. You know my theory on setting goals, right? You have different areas of your life, different gardens as you were. Health is one of them. Your yeah. career is another one. Your family, maybe your faith. There, people have different things that are important to them. And you try to set goals in each one. But those goals don't have to always be going faster, going longer, getting better. They can be other things. What are some other areas people can set goals in over the year? Maybe we'll, we'll do something on the Extra Mile podcast. I'll record something for you to set some yeah. some some healthy goals, because you can't always do more, right? And that's how you fail. Yeah, I agree. And I love your theory about you know, when we we're talking about weight loss. Don't look at weight loss. Look at healthy eating, and then the weight loss will come by definition just about. Here's something I've always wanted to do and have never got around to doing it, and I am so impressed with And you're one of them, by the way, and, and you should probably bring this topic up when we get to it. But I love it when people take a passion that they have, which is, in this case, running, and do good with it. Because if you're doing good with it, the two work off of each other. And what I mean by it is charitable work. I have a buddy that I, I've gotten pretty close with through the podcast. His name's Roger Wright. At one point, Roger was probably 350 pounds and went to, had that visit with a doctor who told him, you're going to die soon. If you don't lose weight, you are going to die. So and we've all met people who are read about it in Runner's World. Hey, we lost 300 pounds, 200 pounds, whatever it was. But instead of just losing the weight, Roger decided... I'm going to lose the weight, but I'm going to do good with this. And it just so happened that his gorgeous little niece, Julia, was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. So he not only lost the weight, but he started running for Team Boomer, Boomer Esiason's Foundation. So yeah. you see my point? He, he took something he had to do and used a charity, did good with it, if you know what I mean. You're right. doing the and same it, thing, by the way. And it gave him a purpose, too, which is not to be under... So if you look at that example and you said, well, instead of setting a goal to run further, run longer, I could set a goal to raise $2,500, and that might scare the hell out of somebody. And if it scares you, that's good. That means it's something you should do, right? Because if it scares yeah. you, that means you don't, you've never done it, you don't know how to do it, and you have some self-doubt. So you figure out how to do it, you talk to the people who have done it before, and you figure it out, and you'll learn and grow as a person. So that's a great example of a good goal, right? It forces you to grow yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And the other thing, in our community, you could go volunteer <laughs> at, the, at a race, and that's so much fun. I do that a couple times a year. Um, if you've never done that, that's so much fun. That, you're right about that. I, I've done it myself, too. That is a great way to start. While we're on the topic, you've got a, a charity. You do fundraising every year. 
I do. What's I your, do. I've what's been, your, you got Team Hoyt going, well, don't you? Yeah, I pretty consistently raised for Team Hoyt for the last few years for the Boston Marathon. I snuck in a, a liver foundation year, the year my dad died, in tribute to him there. That was the, the comeback year, 2014. But yeah, I try to raise, and again, I don't necessarily have to do it. And it's not something that comes naturally to me, so I kind of force myself to do it and make sure that I do a good job with that. Because one of the things we have, Kevin, you and I, is we have, whether we like it or not, we have a a podium to talk from, and Mm -hmm. we have to be conscious of the fact that we're leaders, and we have to set a good example, right? And we have to use that. We have to leverage that for good, as kind of saccharine as that sounds. I totally agree. So that's one area that I would love to do more and will readily admit that I've been woefully inadequate at that piece of it. I try to push other people's stuff when they're doing it because I think it's so cool. And honestly, I beg people to, to donate a dollar for God's sakes. And if, if every one of our listeners donated a dollar, it's a significant amount of money. And it's not a lot out of anybody's pocket for some of these good causes. So, and I think it's a great way to go. So kudos to you. And so I want to yeah. be like Chris this year. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I could do a much better job at that. But like I said, I have a lot of gardens that I'm working in right now. So it's, yeah. it's always tough. People always talk about work-life balance. I, I did a post on that last week. I don't think there's any such thing as work-life balance. We're all doing the best we can. And it just goes back to what's important to you. So, you Absolutely. Know, so if you had to give a uh, a mission statement, right? Yep. So what's important yep. about organization? What's your mission? With regards to my life, my running life, my podcast, what do you mean? That's good. You picked that up that I left it open-ended. I was setting a trap for you. (laughs) I got a lot of missions. My family mission statement would be far different from my podcast mission statement. It's a lot more important to me. Give us the podcast mission. The podcast mission, without a doubt, is to build community. You and I, I think, coincidentally, make the same amount of money on our podcast as well. And... um, yeah, with, yeah, which is a big goose egg. But I keep harping on this um, Jeff Galloway half marathon, and only because it's so recent. Just two weeks ago, and, and you joined us last year, so you have a firsthand knowledge of what this stuff is. But just getting together with these people that I have met over the internet, quote unquote, and breaking bread with these folks at dinner time, and just shooting the crap with these folks and learning about their lives. And I'm not going to get into it, but I've had people who have reached out to me after we've met in person with some tragedies that they just want to share and talk about. And so the whole community thing to me is so cool. When I meet up with these folks in real life that I've met before on the internet, it just does my heart good. And I think that's what I'd like to grow. I would like to see this thing. I don't care if I have a million listeners or 50, but I want the 50 people that listen to be engaged and feel like they're running with friends. Yeah. Yeah. Give them a way to uh, connect. And that's one of the things, if you look at health indicators, I'll bring this up for you. I don't know the specific stats, but I have glanced at the research. People who are members of communities like that tend to live longer, have less depression, et cetera, et cetera, right? Right down the list. So it allows you to get out of your own head for a while. And I think that's the real value, right? And that's why people flock to it. And and to be honest, the, the barriers of entry to both of our communities are very low. Everybody's got a a cell phone these days. Everybody's got something to listen to a podcast on. Our podcasts are absolutely free unless they'd like to join your group that gets some extra content for that, and it's cheap anyway. That's also a good thing. But So the barriers are either free or completely cheap. So do it. So, all right, I'll take you towards the exit here. So if people want 
to listen to the Extra Mile podcast, where they find it? Well, it's, they can search in iTunes. That's the big one. Just search on the Extra Mile podcast. Um, we have a website that is theextramilepodcast.com, or the other one is thegallowayextramile.com. But um, right. you can, I mean, anybody who uses iTunes knows how to search for the Extra Mile and that and just subscribe and let you that guys, RSS. Do you, do you still have a dial-in number? No, I did away with that. It got so low, nobody ever uses that. Everybody knows how to how to record from their iPhones now or from their Android device and just email it to me. So, And the quality was not that great when I was using that, to be honest with you. So people would call from, from outside with the wind and all that good stuff. But So anyway, I, right, right now it's just record from your cell phone, email it to me, and I'll do the rest. So when, your next, when, when are you publishing your next show? I just published one just a few days before Christmas. So with with mine, I kind of let the listeners decide when I'm going to post another one. I, I kind of sit back and do nothing with this until I get a few submissions. Sometimes I wait too long and I have so many submissions. Hey, You've given me crap in the past about Hey, so too you long. know what you should do? You know what you should do yeah. is you should do a, a call to action before New Year's. Drop one somewhere this weekend with just a quick tell us what your New Year's resolution is or tell us what your method for setting New Year's resolutions is, right? And we'll, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, you'll get a rash of people calling in. Right. That's a good idea. I'll give that a shot. All right. All Thank right. You. Well, it's a pleasure talking to you. Nice to talk to you. All Always right. Nice to talk to you. All right. Well, I got nothing big going on either. Oh, I'm running a marathon for fun that I made up of my own volition on Saturday. <laughs> well, you're good luck with that. I'm betting you're going to win this one. Uh, nobody wins, nobody loses in my marathon. That's <laughs> very cool. Yeah, it's worth every cent. <laughs> and then Sunday morning, I got to roll out and go run with Teresa up at the Hangover Classic where we go jump in the ocean afterwards. So that's always fun. Yeah. I've seen that crazy stuff you do, and you always post some. Somebody's got their iPhone going at the time, so we'll look forward to seeing that too. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. Hey, have a have a good um, New Year's, and uh, watch out New Year's Eve. Too many amateurs yeah, on the road, man. Exactly. Happy New right. Year. Thanks. Cheers. Bye bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. The effective executive, Peter E. Drucker. A book review. This book was originally published in 1967. The edition I read was the Harper Business Edition from 1993. So I'm too young to have been part of the Drucker generation. I had always heard him talked of and quoted among the staid and dusty corners of mainstream business, but I never thought to reach back and read him. Drucker's words and ideas were the Esperanto of an emerging class in the business world of post-World War II, and he was part and parcel of important boardroom discussions in the 50s and 60s. By the 1980s, when I entered the business world, things had changed, or people were tired of basic business sense. We got Peters and Porter and a cadre of super smart guys from Harvard and Stanford who tried to take it to the next level, and they all owed their chops to the work of Drucker. Drucker was their textbook. Drucker was the original management consultant, the likes of which many owe their profession to today. And I'm not sure how I even came into possession of this book. Perhaps the book sale at the local library where you can buy them for $5 for a shopping bag full? And I'm not sure how this book pushed its way to the front of the queue ahead of the other 30 books that are waving their little book arms to get my attention. But 
I'm glad it did because it was a minor revelation to me. This book must be read not as a small collection of business advice like a poor Richards for the executive class, but as a manifesto for the time. A manifesto for an emerging class of business professionals. A manifesto for a society caught in the sea change from basic patriarchal industrial capitalism to effective organizations that would be needed to compete and thrive on the world stage. It's Drucker's plea for American business to get their act together. The effective executive can be seen as anachronistic, but also as a history lesson. It is birthed from a point in time in America where the knowledge worker was emerging and a new style of leadership was needed to utilize them. Drucker recognized that this new class of worker needed to be harnessed as a driving force for a new generation of organizations. He's also interestingly prescient. He talks about how the big American car companies need to change. He talks about government being made ineffective by competing priorities. He scolds us that global labor is cheap and the only way to stay competitive is to empower our resources and innovate. But beyond all the histrionics, this little book is also chock full of great tips for anyone who is in business. I particularly like the chapters on decision-making. Perhaps these chapters might help those currently embroiled in their New Year's resolutions. How do you set your priorities? Well, if you don't set your priorities, circumstance or pressure will set your priorities for you. If you let pressures drive your priorities and decisions, you'll always be focused on the past. This is, this is what Drucker amuses himself with by calling pr- them priorities versus posterities. Pressure causes us to react, and the future-looking priorities are crowded out by the backward-looking posterities. Decisions that are posterities when analyzed will be someone else's priority, not yours. This all sounds very familiar, doesn't it? What are some of the other ways to make bad decisions? Well, postponing decisions usually makes it less relevant because that decision is rooted in the time of the decision. You can also try to make decisions that spread a compromise around and make everyone happy. That guarantees an ineffective solution. But what are the attributes of a great decision? Well, aim high and make it meaningful. Make the decision unique to you and your business. Don't put on someone else's decision. Make decisions outward-facing. Make decisions that are future-focused. And make the decision take advantage of an opportunity, not solve a problem. Good decisions require courage. Truly great decisions will seem like heresy to the rest of the world. Good decisions are going to make someone mad. That's okay. As a matter of fact, if you don't have a dissenting opinion, you haven't looked at the decision well enough. Most effective decisions are disagreeable. Above all, the thing that makes a decision effective is following through and execution. The executive must use grit and willpower to drive the execution of that decision for it to have any effect. So how do you do this? How do you execute a game-changing decision? That, so that it propagates throughout the organization. In the new, at the time, knowledge worker stacked organization, you leverage those knowledge workers to implement the decisions. And this is really the key and ties the whole work together. 
The old capitalist regimes, with a handful of executives making decisions and everyone else hopping to, were no longer effective and were a dying breed. In order to compete in the post-World War II world, the knowledge workers throughout the organization needed to be capable of making decisions on their own that aligned with and drove the organization to effectiveness. And that's what Drucker saw. Organizations that could learn to leverage the knowledge worker would be more effective and more competitive. And this is still the hallmark of effective organizations. The ability to communicate and leverage the individual genius of each worker in a way that is passionately aligned with the goals of the organization. Think about Starbucks or Zappos or any other company that uses culture to enable knowledge workers to do the right thing at the right time for the benefit of the company. We owe a lot to Peter Drucker. He was a smart observer of the times at a time when modern business was being born. The effective executive is a worthy investment of your time, even now in 2016. If not for the timeless business tenants, then for the context that it gives us. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Alrighty, my friends. New year, new lease on life, right? Blank slate for you and I. (laughs) You, my friend, have diaphragmatically breathed your way through to the end of episode 4-356 of the Run Run Live podcast. Strange cadence to the holiday this year. It seems like everyone disappeared for two weeks on the business side. I was trying to make calls, and I couldn't get a response out of anyone. Now this week, this week, they're all emerging from the woodwork with a corresponding urgency level. So it's interesting. As of Monday, I was back on my clean eating wagon. Feels good. My goal is to see if I can get down to 165 pounds for the Boston Marathon. And it's ironic that the government BMI tables have always told me that I should be between 155 and 165 pounds for my height. I always kind of thought that was a bunch of bull. At that weight, I'm going to be somewhere in the, oh, 6-7% body fat. So you should be able to see some of those ab muscles. Maybe I'll, I'll buy a bikini. I've never seen those ab muscles. I'm healthy, though, and my training is going well. Coach has me in the build two stage, which means I'm starting to ramp up the volume and work in some intensity. So I did one last idiotic thing to close out the year, like I said. Well, actually, two idiotic things. I hosted the fourth annual Groton Marathon, and we made it more official this year. We set up a clock, and we had people register. We got some blank buttons with the club logo on them, and I left a piece of notebook paper on the tailgate of my truck, and I had people sign their names and what distance they were running and make up a bib number. And the official bibs were the buttons. So we had a Sharpie, and you write your number on the button. That's your bib. And of course, given the geekiness of runners, I didn't just get numbers. I got two pies, a mu, a natural logarithm, and a tally mark five as bib numbers. So then (laughs) I had them write down their finishing time when they were done. So we got results, and I handed out homemade holiday ornaments as medals. I got about 24 people to come out and run various different distances. The half was very popular, and two other guys joined me for the full. Given the shape I was in, it was probably four to six miles more than I should have been running, but we got it done, finishing up around 4.09, 
Uh, it hovered just below freezing for the whole day. It's a pretty good day for running. And I guess the lesson here is you don't need to spend 150 or 200 bucks on a rock and roll event to get out and have fun with your buddies. Just make up your own races. This is the way we've always done it. So because of the odd way the holidays fell, the Hangover Classic was the very next day. And I ran the 5K with Teresa, and then we all jumped in the Atlantic, which is our tradition. It was interesting running the day after running a marathon. So I just stretched it out and let my legs do what they wanted. Just, I survived. Now I'm back on the plan and ramping up for Boston. It's good to have a compass point to steer towards. I like that. On a different note, Buddy, the old wonder dog, he's doing okay. I know you guys are interested in him. Uh, he can't run much anymore because of his his hips. His back hips are very weak now. He's not in any pain. He just has trouble getting up and down. He still climbs the stairs and jumps up into bed okay. He's perfectly mobile, but I think his his running days are over. He's starting a new career as a lap dog to keep the girls warm at night, which is not a bad gig. We had a warm day with rain this week, and it washed most of the snow and ice off the trails, and I was able to get out for a run in the woods. Out behind the pond, I found a cell phone on the ground, so I brought it home. It was a droid in an otter case, and it still had a charge on it, but it was locked, so I couldn't tell whose it was. I brought it home, and I put it on the charge. It rang a couple times, but I couldn't get to it in time. I was I was tied up, but so I just ended up dropping it at the police station, and I hope the owner thinks to call down to the police station. I feel like I should go up back out in the trail and put up a sign that says, I found your cell phone and left it with the police. I know how tough it is when you lose your phone. You know, it's like your whole your whole life goes away. I also tried to give blood the same day. Funny story, I guess. <laughs> Cautionary tale. The Red Cross were sending me these desperate emails, so I said, "Okay, okay, I'll come down and give you some blood." I've I've given blood many, many, many times. Been doing it my whole life, and I tried to make an appointment on the website, which is typically futile. Uh, my experience is that making an appointment really has no impact on the process anyhow. They're not the most organized of uh, organizations. So, of course, the lady's taking my heart rate, and I tell her, hey, it's going to be low, but she enters it anyhow into the system. System flags it. They won't let me register. She has to call the doctor to get it overridden. Crazy, right? I mean, sometimes I feel like we get penalized for being healthy. And then they hook me up. She can't find a vein because I guess I'm a bit grisly. (laughs) she fishes around calls the other guy over he fishes around they finally get some blood flow and get me going but a couple minutes later the next person wanders by and notices that i have dried up yeah so she fishes around for a while and then they just give up they unhook me i'm done that's it they don't get a bag of blood (laughs) i get a bottle of water a t-shirt a donkey's gift card and a nice bruise So, I mean, I'm not complaining, but there's an hour and a half of my life I think we could have made better use of. Anybody else have this challenge when they go to get blood? It it seems like a process that could use a bit of effectiveness consulting, doesn't it? Huh? So, my friends, here we are, 2017, 10 years into the podcast. Remember when you were a kid and 10 years seemed like such a long wait? And now it's just a blink of an eye. That's up to you to slow it down. You have to grab time by the tail and hold on tight. Or as Ferris said, you might miss it. We tend to get caught up 
and tied up by all the things undone, piled up and leering at us, I think you have to actually counter that proactively. Especially in these early days of the calendar when we're all thinking about goals and lists and priorities. I'll leave you with one of the sentiments from my daily practice. It reads like this. Focus on executing today, living now, being present in today's tasks, and let the outcomes take care of themselves. And I'll see you out there in a healthy, prosperous, and joy-filled 2017. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. Good, good. How we doing? How we doing? How we doing? Recording, recording, recording. Looks good. Looks good. Spicy McHaggis. All right. Hey there. It's a new year. I know we lost a lot of celebrities and... Th- <laughs> Let's just start that over again, huh? Let's just start over again. 